Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to the Film Board, the movie conversation podcast reviewing the latest releases that you want to talk about. My name is Andy Nelson, host of the Next Real Film Podcast. On this episode, we dig into the new gritty action thriller by Guy Ritchie. It's Wrath of Man. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a new addition. H. Border Coast Security specialized in cash trucks across LA. Do you have any idea how dangerous this job can be? 
Some are dead, yeah. We ain't the predators. We're the prey. You ready? Ready. This is your temporary sidearm. Why don't you put putting pistols in a machine gun fight? Do you have a problem? I don't know. Do I? It's a 10 grand drop. You should have been back five minutes ago. They're serious! Leave this to me. Get in the truck next time! Sorry, pal. doesn't feel right. It's like he wants trucks to get hit. He's not a cop. But if he's not a cop, what is he? Andy, have you heard about these membership plans we have over at the Next Reel? Membership plans? Tell me more. For just $1 a month, that's practically nothing, you can become a One Reeler member and get access to member channels over on Discord. But I'm already a member on Discord. Yeah, but you don't have access to the special channels. Ooh, so what's on these special member-only channels? You know that Saturday matinee show? Oh yeah, the one I get every Monday when the hosts talk about news and trailers, play movie-related games, and then they challenge each other with their list of films related somehow to the movie that we reviewed that week. That's the one. Members get access to the Show Talk channel where they can vote on these lists each week. Wait, wait, wait. You you mean there's a vote? I, I love voting. Mama always said, vote early and vote often. Now, if you bump your membership to the two-reeler tier, which costs a measly $5 a month, practically the same you'd pay for a fancy coffee drink, you get so much more. Oh, what more is there? Two reelers not only get everything the one reelers get, <laughs> that's a given, but they also get access to live streams to watch the shows when they actually record or anytime thereafter. You mean I have to stop doing this in my bathrobe? Two reelers also get to be a part of the pre show chat with hosts before every film board episode. I like it. I like it. Two reelers get every show before regular listeners and without ads. Oh, you mean they don't have to sit through this? <laughs> Count me in. But the best benefit of all, members get bonus member-only episodes. I love that. It's an exciting time to be alive. What can I say? So how do I sign up? It's easy. Just head to thenextreel.com slash membership. Thenextreel.com slash membership? thenextreel.com slash membership. Access to member-only channels in Discord, early access to shows, access to live streams, and member bonus episodes. Sign up today. I'm so happy to be joined today by Charlie Jewell and Hannah Buckdahl from the Cinema Clash podcast. Welcome, Charlie and Hannah. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about your show and where people can find it. Uh, our show, The Cinema Clash, is uh, you can find it anywhere you get your podcast from on all platforms. Also, if you're in Florida, you can get it on 96.7 FM Sunshine on your FM dial and RadioStPete.com. We are on Radio St. Pete. Cinema Clash was born because Hannah and I uh, live close together in the Washington, D.C. area, just north of the city, uh, over the Maryland border. And when we realized that, we were like, hey, we should do a show together because we agree on nothing. We agree on nothing. <laughs> she 
she likes everything that's not good, and I like hey, all the good hey, movies. Hey, see, so uh, we have a podcast no. explain that. That's what happens when you let Charlie go first. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Wow. But maybe I should have the last word there is that generally I have the perspective of the mainstream audience, I would say. And Charlie has that perspective of more of the um, the indie goer, arty film viewer. So uh, generally, 98% of the people will agree with me and maybe 2% will agree with Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did win in the Oscar poll. He as did, by one. So, yes. by one. <laughs> by one. By one, yeah. <laughs> Very close. Well, uh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to hear uh, you two go at it when we're talking about this movie today. Uh, but first, let me also welcome Jordan Peterson back. He's uh, here. He's been on the show a number of times, and he's back for another round here on the board. Jordan, it's always lovely to hear your dulcet tones. Oh, thank you. You can't keep me away. <laughs> well, this is going to be a fun one because this was... Uh, I. It, I guess this is really the first film board episode that we've had in a very long time about a movie that is playing in theaters. We all had to go out to the theater to actually watch this one, which I, I was actually kind of thrilled to go see um, something again on the big screen in IMAX, as it happened to be uh, for me. So uh, it was great uh, seeing Wrath of Man that way. Normally, we start talking about the movie, getting a quick rundown of everyone's thoughts. But, you know, I thought it would be nice to pair this with each of you, uh, giving us a sense of also your history with Guy Ritchie. How does this one work for you, and uh, how does it compare to his other films? Hannah, let's start with you. Uh, I'm not like one of those huge Guy Ritchie aficionados, so I'm not a, you know all that familiar with all of his work. But uh, I loved The Gentleman last year, so uh, this did not compare. This was way below that one for me, um, but uh, middle of the road. I would call it middle of the road Guy Ritchie stylish but it lacked the uh that little bit of humor that i generally prefer to find uh in his films this one was a little too bloody for my taste without any fun <laughs> mm, gotcha all right charlie what about you uh, guy Ritchie has eras and you know when i was i was in college when Lockstock and snatch came out and that's a very impressionistic time when you are discovering your taste in film what you want in film and i latched on to guy Ritchie then and I was with him through Revolver and Rock and Rolla. And I was still with him, but to a lesser degree when he started off on his, you know, let me explore Sherlock. Let me explore the man from Uncle. And then he lost me when he did a Disney remake. Uh, I was like, <laughs> fine, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, Mr. Ritchie, but uh, I'm not with you anymore. Uh, he got me back with the gentleman. Love the gentleman. That was classic Ritchie. Uh, this is not. This is action formula. This is not a Guy Ritchie standard. Any action director could have handled this material. Didn't have to be him. Uh, this is Minor Richie in my book. Minor Richie. All right. Jordan, how about you? At his best, Guy Richie is uh, the British Quentin Tarantino. And at his worst, he's remaking Aladdin. Um, and I, <laughs> I think that the filmmakers like Guy Richie are a little confusing to me because I do think that, you know, this is a guy who has uh, a lot, like a real love for style. And I think a lot of, a lot of potential. I, 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 I find myself pretty much pretty well siding with Charlie, although. I don't think that I'm as big of a fan overall. I think that um, probably my favorite Guy Ritchie film was Lockstock. Um, and, you know, that was like, I think his first one. So um, I, I don't know that he's been doing, I don't think that, he, I don't know that he's been, you know, breaking real new ground since then. I think he's been kind of just doing variations on a theme. And when he does those variations really, really well, um, it's really, it's really fun. Um, and I know that I'll have a good time. But, um, you know, in this case, yeah, I, I have, many more thoughts about this movie but uh but overall yeah a little less impressed 
And in his de- in his defense, I'm sorry, I would just say that I liked Aladdin. <laughs> I actually thought the remake of Aladdin could have been much worse and it was better than I expected. So maybe Guy Ritchie gets a little credit for it being better than I expected it to be. <laughs> for better than what a Disney remake could be. Exactly. Because right? there are certainly those ones out there, too. Um, somehow I magically missed um, Aladdin. I, I count myself uh, lucky that I, I think I only caught the very end of it when the kids happened to be watching it. And I just like, it was a good, it was worth the, Spending a wish on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. There's one of my three, uh, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Um, so, uh, but, you know, I, I generally do enjoy Guy Ritchie films. Um, I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a good number of them. I actually went back and rewatched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels uh, last weekend just to kind of refresh my memory because I hadn't seen that one in so long. And I remember, like uh, like everybody here is really saying, like, you go back to the, a film like that, and it's like, there's a voice there. It really speaks as a filmmaker who's, you know, kind of, right out of the gate doing something really creative and, and interesting. I didn't I wasn't quite as impressed with it this time, but I still had a lot of fun with it. It's clear that that uh those things that drew me in are still kind of they still capture me. And I I, I like a lot of what Guy Ritchie does. This is very much a different tone for him. Um because he generally is, as as you said, Hannah, he's making like he has a lot of fun in his films. And there's I, I, I've read some reviews for this where people say it's fun, and I'm like, is it? Is this a fun film? Because it's a pretty dark film, I found. A dark and interestingly structured film, um, but it's it's definitely a dark tone for Guy Ritchie. And I, I didn't think that was bad. I, I enjoyed him doing something different, and I'd rather him do this different than Aladdin different. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I guess in scope of like what I want out of Guy Ritchie, I, I liked he was doing something different, but it didn't strike me as like, this is the thing he should be doing next. So, I mean, talking about Guy Ritchie just a little bit longer, are, were there things that did stand out? I, I I know that the humor wasn't necessarily there. I mean, I certainly noticed a lot of great camera techniques that he was playing around with, some interesting editing. And I mean, geez, all those Guy Ritchie names, there are, there's a lot of that stuff that we have going on here. Was there anything particular that, that did stand out for any of you with kind of Guy Ritchie? The score? I thought the score was mm. definitely the tone was familiar and the very long opening credit sequence. Uh, I yeah. found both of those uh, to sort of feel almost a little James Bondish uh, in the uh, in the tone. Uh, but so that to me um, kind of it, it began like a Guy Ritchie movie and then it just sort of became something slightly different. Gotcha. He, um, gotcha. he could have told a linear story. He didn't have yeah. to do what he did. It's very, the most Ritchie thing about this is it's nonlinear structure, different points of view. We see robberies, point of view one, and then a half hour later, point of view two, and the large cast. Good Lord, it's a very, very large cast. And I think that's also very Richie. But it, what stood out to me is how unriche it is. It's not funny. It's not right. There's no one-liners. There's no, you put gorgeous George in a boxing match with a pike. There's none of that. <laughs> and uh, that, uh, that, just, that made me miss things more than appreciate what was here. You know, it's interesting that um, we're talking about how it's not funny. Um, one of the things that actually really frustrated me about this movie is that it started off with a lot of that classic Guy Ritchie humor. Um, and, and it got me really kind of like in the zone for the first, I'd say maybe even 30 minutes or so. And, um, and then the humor kind of took a real back seat and kind of disappeared completely. So there wasn't any humor left. And then it was just, a, it was kind of a, yeah, like a really gritty action slog. And I, 
I was still invested. I still thought, you know, I was still enjoying myself more or less because he's, I mean, he's, if nothing else, a very competent filmmaker. Um, but yeah, like it, 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 I, I found myself wishing that the rest of the movie had followed the tone set in the first part of the movie. Um, which, you know, he was just kind of, I think, I don't know. I have a lot of theories about why that might have happened. Um, but partly, partly I get the sense that this, he, he didn't, he did, he just didn't really corral, uh, his, the arc of tone very well. Um, and didn't really, I think, take into, uh, maybe adequate consideration what an, how an audience would respond to a movie that started in one way and kind of evolved into a very different thing. Um, that was, that was frankly less fun. <laughs> yeah. It's also a remake. And so I don't know. Maybe he got caught up somehow in remaking a French film and, uh, and just didn't really take a, uh, a fresh enough big picture guy Ritchie view on it. Uh, so maybe that had something to do with it. That's, that's a great point I wanted to bring up. Has, have any of you seen, uh, Les Convoyeurs or Cast Truck as it's known, the French original? I looked for it. No, not more than two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> I looked for it. I couldn't find it anywhere for free. So, uh, on any of the streaming services, cause I was curious. I, uh, I did find it and watched it, um, it was funny. I, I started watching it and I didn't quite have enough time. So I started watching it and then I had to go see Wrath of Man and then I came back and I finished it. So, so it was weird how it, it kind of, you know, informed me what to expect with Wrath of Man and then Wrath of Man kind of informed me on what to expect with the ending of it when I finally got back to it. A much different toned film though, I'll tell you. It is, um, it felt, I saw somebody on Letterboxd, they, they compared it to Melville's films. And I, I think there's something to that. It's, it's a, it's less of a crime thriller and more kind of a crime drama as we're kind of seeing this story. And I think, uh, you know, the, the way that the story unfolds, it's, it's largely the same, but it generally stays all in the point of view of our, of our protagonist. And we're kind of seeing his story. And when we go to the flashback, it's more just like he's having a, a dream sequence that we go back and, and kind of, you know, see what had happened. And, and I think that when you look at kind of what this film is, which is a revenge story, right? We're seeing this, this, I mean, it's named wrath of man. It is very much just about kind of revenge and anger and, and, you know, this particular person going after these people, that film kind of, I don't know, when you look at what generally you're expecting in a film about revenge, for me at least, in that film, I saw more of like, this is a person who's, you know, wanting revenge for what these people did to his kid. And in the end, I'm getting a sense of that theme of revenge, like, was he better off because he did this or not? And I don't know, I'm curious what you all think, because in a story about like, well, what, I mean, in a revenge story, what does it take to actually make it successful? And is this film doing any of that? I didn't think so. I, I didn't feel that. Uh, I don't know if you saw the film Nobody a few weeks back, uh, but uh, it's um, on my it's on my radar. That one to me was a much better, more satisfying, and also had that sort of little hint of humor going. Uh, so when I having seen that so close to this one. If I had to pick a revenge thriller, that one was my my pick. I didn't like the chronology in Wrath of Man. It, it I found it somewhat confusing, and uh, yeah, and then I didn't really feel that the payoff was there. Only fifty percent of this film is a revenge film. I go into films blind. I did not watch the trailer. Didn't have a clue what it was about. Uh, it was a mystery. The first fifty percent is actually a mystery. Uh, he goes here, and we know he's not there just for a job. I get it. You're, you're there for some other reason, but I actually don't know what that is. 
And I know he's looking for someone. I don't know who he's looking for, and neither does he. And only later do I do are we informed, oh, you're here because people need killing, and you need to find out who exactly needs killing. Now go have your revenge. But uh, yeah, it's only fifty percent revenge. Others, it's just mystery. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm. That, that's a, that's a really great. That's kind of, and when, as long as it was the mystery, it was a much more fun movie. And then as soon as the mystery was resolved, like there, there was, there was no longer any, any really tension other than like, is he or, or like, will he or won't he kill the people that need killing? <laughs> and, and, and honestly, at the very, by the end, you know, I found like the overall, the overall story of the movie is actually quite boring. Um, it's an interesting subversion of the idea of like, oh, whoops, you killed the mob boss's son and now you have to go survive and kill all the mob boss, mob boss's henchmen. I like the subversion, but at the end of the day, all it is, is a really powerful, probably pretty bad dude having his son killed and he's the main character and then he goes and kills everybody. The end. <laughs> like, there, there's really nothing, there's really nothing there, uh, to, to latch onto. This is why I, this is actually the reason I, I'm, I'm not just glib when I say I think that he is kind of, sort of a British version of, Quentin Tarantino, because prior to, um, uh, pri- prior to, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think is, uh, just a, a, a phenomenal movie, um, that a lot of Quentin Tarantino's movies, he thinks that he's saying like really important, deep things, but he's not. And by the end of those movies, you're, you're not, you're not coming away with any real sophisticated or mature theme. This is my opinion. And it, I feel the same way about Guy Ritchie. A lot of his like, you know, his sort of signature movies. Um, I get to the end and I'm like, that was fun. Like fun characters, cool dialogue, great, like cinematography. Like you have a real flavor and style, but like the story itself, there's not really anything here for adults. It's just, it's just, it's, you know, it's spectacle, um, spectacle, uh, a, a style as spectacle. Um, and that's very much how I felt at the end of this movie. Exactly. Except it wasn't as fun. <laughs> well, I think that there's something to that in this particular story. Uh, because, and again, going back to the idea of what sort of themes are you getting in a story in a revenge story? And I generally, it's that, you know, for me, it's the concept of, you know, does revenge taking out on somebody for something that they had done to you, is that going to make you feel better? And I think that there have been stories about revenge that really look at that and, and that whole concept. And in this film, it's like, yeah, like by the time we get to the end, I'm like, okay, so, so he got everybody and that's that. And that's kind of the end of the story. Uh, it, so it was, it was, I don't know, it was peculiar for me. I, I didn't mind it, but it's certainly when you start breaking it down, you do come up with all these issues. Uh, something that's been brought up a number of times is the structure and this whole idea. Cause I mean, the, and Charlie, you said it, Guy Ritchie, this, that feels very Guy Ritchie. We're moving backward and forward through time and kind of shifting around a lot. And that's, it's kind of fun and it makes for kind of a fun way to look at this. Um, even if it can perhaps be confusing, like you said, Hannah. The structure is what it is. I, I think you might have said this, Charlie. If you if you take all of this and put it linearly, though, and if you tell just a straightforward linear story, I mean, is there anything interesting left? No, uh, Richie could not have told a linear story here. Um, it's better that he was a bit innovative and switched it up and gave me title cards in the four different segments. I'm totally on board with that. I'm fine. The problem with that is we didn't earn the villain. I, there, I was looking for clues. Even if you think you found clues and you could piece together, that's the bad guy. You're not going to figure it out uh, because when he in, in segment three, he introduces us to the villains and there's no way we could have figured it out because it's someone completely off the wall. We didn't know their motivation. They're, they didn't show up in the background earlier. No idea who it was. And that really threw me for a loop. Uh, we didn't earn it. It's like 
we, it was spoon fed to me like a child, like segment three, here are your villains. Now move on. I, 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 that really did not sit well with me. Yeah, I agree. The motivations of the bad guys, I did not feel like that was ever given to us. And so that's a huge thing that's just missing. Uh, there's, you know, Jeffrey Donovan and, and that whole crew. And, uh, I, I just didn't believe that they would do what they did, uh, because uh, that the reasons were not there and I just did not buy it. Yeah, I feel like there's a, um, like, I completely agree. And I think, um, it's, it's frustrating because there's really only, there's really only one of two reasons that, that, uh, the, the movie would be, the plot would be constructed this way. And one is, uh, a, a, like ignorance, lack of recognition that you're making a mistake and you're not, er, you're not earning your storytelling. The second reason, um, and, and both of them are, or I think a little bit in, inexcusable, but the second reason is actually worse. And that is that there's this underlying theme of nihilism, which, which is basically trying to communicate this idea that like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like people, people are really crappy and, you know, and it, it hurts a lot of innocent people. And then at the end, everybody dies. And you're, it's, which is like, I'm not interested in going to see your movie about that. You know, like it was really upsetting to me that there wasn't more heart in the movie. Um, I wanted to see, and I, I get, I get, I like, I feel like I understand the story as it was being told, but like, I'm not on board because like, it's, it, there's, there's really nothing there for me to, 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 um, enjoy. And I'm certainly not there to learn a lesson, you know? So what's, so what's, what's left? What's the point? Um, yeah. And I, I think then there were opportunities and, and this is the thing that probably left me the most disappointed is that by the end, like I was looking back and I was like, there were real opportunities to have some real heart and to have some really satisfying arc. And to maybe introduce some complex themes, but none of those were taken advantage of. And it was either because they weren't recognized or because they were, they, they were deemed, um, uh, you know, inconsequential or not important to the, to the, the main thrust of the story, which was this sort of nihilist perspective, which is, I think, just radically uninteresting at this point. Like nobody wants to see nihilist movies, um, especially ones that, that are so sort of unsophisticated. Anyway, that's a, a bit harsh. I did enjoy the movie for the most part, but like, you know, very, there was a very hard ceiling on that enjoyment for those reasons. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a frustrating film. And, and I think that's when you do break it down and you look at these different parts, um, which I mean, yeah, it was an interesting structure. I really enjoyed the way that he created the four parts. The structure feels very much like the original French one. It's just, he definitely expanded on it and kind of very clearly defined each of these sections. So it was, it was an interesting way to kind of shape the film. I enjoyed it. But yeah, when you look at it and go, okay, there's no reason for it to be told this way other than to make it a little more interesting and a little more fun because otherwise the story is not really that great. Let's dig in a little more on, on, on each of these sections. Um, the first part's called a dark spirit. This is where we see, um, Guy Ritchie's character. H as he's called, he starts working at this new cash truck company. Jordan, you had said, this was this was the more fun section. This is where we we get some of the levity. We see him interacting. This is you know we're we're getting all these relationships with all the people who work here at Fortico, this company, and so we really kind of get to know our characters. I mean, how did all this part work for you? And the big question is, did you buy Statham as this seventy percent type of guy, the guy who who passes the test barely, right at seventy <laughs> percent? I thought that. I honestly that. That that whole section was, I thought, so good. I I mean, I was all in by the end of it. I was like, this is so, so fun. Like, this is what I came here for. Um, I came here to see 
Jason Statham playing like a brooding, mysterious badass <laughs> who um, who sort of sneaks in and like I just I love the whole I love that the whole the whole the way the entire way that that was set up and executed I thought was really really awesome um, and I loved like uh, the use of music. Hannah mentioned earlier, um, being like just how we, the, 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 the kind of unrelenting, suspenseful score over mundane actions for a long time. And then it finally lets up and nothing has happened by that point. But yeah, I mean, you know, like if you, uh, you know, are re- reasonably familiar with cinematic language, you know, kind of what he's doing and how he's playing with you. But I, I mean, I was, I was all, I was all for it. It was so fun. It was so fun. And by the end of that section, I was like, I can't wait to see what this movie has in store for me. And uh, yeah, so that was, I mean, that's how I felt at the end of the, the first section. I want to, one quick note too, about, about this nonlinear storytelling and the, um, the way that the chronology was kind of scrambled up. Um, I think that there's a really good rule of thumb that if you don't have a good story, uh, if, if you don't, if you can't tell a good story linearly, then you probably shouldn't try to tell it nonlinearly. That's, I want to say, I think that every, every comment that I make from this point forward, I want to, that to be the preface, <laughs> because if we're going to be talking about the chronology, I think that's a really important point. I agree with Jordan. A Dark Spirit, the first quarter of the film is the best quarter of the, fi- uh, the, the film, and it's not even close. You learn very quick, this is a gray movie. The entire color palette is gray, and not black and white, but just, there's just an absence of color. And that score, there's this throbbing cello. And that's really all there is. He's learning how to ride the truck, and all you hear is a throbbing cello. For no reason, man, let's create a little monotonous suspense. I don't buy him as the 70% man, because we, we as cinema watchers, we have been taught. Jason Statham is the transporter. Jason Statham is crank. Jason Statham's in the Fast and Furious franchise. He's not a 70% guy. He's a 102% guy. We know he's (laughs) messing with us. We know he's messing with them. I like the introductions to the supporting character, especially um, Josh Hartnett as Boy Sweat Dave. I like the ins and outs of the very rough supporting cast that we know we're going to get to learn more of. They are not nice. They're not welcoming. Totally on board with that. Love a dark spirit. Yeah, no, I agree. The first That first part of it was, to me, the most enjoyable. And I was drawn in at that point. I I liked everything about it. I mean, you know, I love Jason Statham and he has one look (laughs) to me. It's not like I'm feel, I don't feel like I'm seeing uh, any brand new kind of character out of him. He just sort of has that kind of thing going for him, sort of in that Liam Neeson sort of way, you know, he's got skills and we learned very quickly that he's got these precision skills that shocks his coworkers. The 70%, I think I remember thinking very early on that, that it was a setup point. That, um, that he was trying to just barely get in and, uh, and that he was messing with everybody. And so, uh, I didn't give, um, didn't give much thought to it at that point because I knew we were going to figure out his agenda soon enough. But uh, I agree that to me, if they could have somehow managed to sustain part one throughout the whole film, I would be, you know, giving it a much bigger thumbs up. Yeah, that would have been the trick, I think, to do that. And it's interesting because in the original film, I mean, I'm I'm not as familiar with the French actors other than um, uh, what's the one who Dujardin, the uh, yeah Dujardin, <laughs> who is in the original. Um, but the the person who's playing the Statham role in that film, it feels like a you know a William H Macy type of person. Like he's he's not the action star, and he doesn't really become the action star. But he's an angry father who is going through this because he wants revenge. 
and he doesn't realize how awful it's going to end up being by the time he gets through it. So it's a very different type of story. And I kind of like that approach. I love Statham. I love watching him in this sort of stuff. But I also, you know, I, I kind of prefer him when he's doing, uh, you know, some of those other things. I mean, I actually really love the bank job. I think he's a lot of uh, it's great seeing him kind of doing something like that. But in this, yeah, I don't buy that he's the 70 type, 70 percent type of guy. But I do enjoy this section of the film. I think there's a lot of fun here. And I love that it's set up as a mystery. I think their biggest problem um, is in the marketing is that they give so much away in the trailer. If you had watched the trailer and Charlie, you're lucky you didn't because it really ruins so much more of the story for you. And you just know what's what's happening. It's a very frustrating trailer to watch. I'd push, I'd push back a little bit. Um, just, I, I, I think I did see the trailer, but I don't think I got much. I mean, I don't, I don't think I was paying close attention. I didn't really, I, I like, you know, like, you know, Jason Statham is an action hero. And I think that like, I, I found that to be one of those sort of points of really effective, subtle humor. Like when he says, Oh, just 77, just barely. I, I, I felt like that was a joke that I was in on. Sure. Like that was like everybody, like we are all supposed to know like this guy, like we're, and, and that's what the music is for. And that's what the, I mean, that's the, the, the casting choice is for. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, I think it's, it's really, I think it's really, really, really effective, which is why, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like at a hundred percent at the end of that first section. And I think, yeah, if they could, if, if I had watched a movie that just continued forward linearly from that point and I got, and I got to have the mystery slowly unfold from that point until it sort of culminated in a satisfying ending from that point, I would have been, I mean, this, I would have been all over this movie. So, well, yeah. and I guess that's what I mean. The trailer, they spoil the mystery. Like they show you the fact that oh. his son was killed and now he's out for blood. And that's, I mean, they give all of that away gotcha. in the trailer and it's very frustrating to know all of that walking in. I definitely wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> and I never saw the trailer. So that's interesting to know. Yeah. It's, it's strange when they, you know, kind of spoil stuff like that in trailers. It's very frustrating, but I, I know they have to sell the story. It's, it's a, you know, I think it always an uphill battle. Um, who else worked for you all? Did you like this, the general crew that we have here in the depot? I mean, we're meeting Holt McCallany. He plays Bullet, who's pretty much becomes his H's right-hand man, the one who's training him. And then they end up working together on a lot of the drives and obviously becomes a critical figure because as we learn, he is the inside man that these uh, the the villains are using, um, and and uh, Josh Hartman. Spoiler alert! Well, I know. Hey, <laughs> we're all about spoilers here on this show, so it's no worries. Um, Boy Sweat Dave, Josh Hartnett was in there. Um, anyone else stand out as like uh, you know just the great people that you expect to see in a Guy Ritchie movie, like those really fun characters? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. The guy who uh, you know who sort of played the dispatcher type. Sort of your more uh, schlubby kind of guy, mm. <laughs> you know. He reminded me sort of of the Danny DeVito character from Taxi. You know that uh, instead of instead of being the dispatch for uh, for cabs, he's the dispatch for all these uh, you know all these armored trucks uh, tooling around the city. Uh, so to me, I thought there was opportunity there for him to provide a little more comic relief, you know. But in terms of the overall grand cast of characters. I mean, to see Scott Eastwood, I kept waiting for him to show up because I knew that he was in the uh, opening credits yeah. and um, and Jeffrey Donovan. I was curious to see like where where his character would fall. Uh, to me, he felt very similar to pretty much everything that Jeffrey Donovan <laughs> has done in the past few years. Uh, so I think because it was such a large cast, it was hard for me to um, to really find those standouts. They almost started all blending together a little too much. I like Bullet, though. Yes, yeah. on the blending together, other than Josh Hartnett and Holt McCallany and the woman, 
uh, everyone else just like, oh, yeah. I think I've seen your face before. I know you're part of the crew, but I, I actually don't know your name. So I, I, I just know you're, you're part of the crew. Uh, Jordan, you, you've mentioned Tarantino a couple of times. This is a, it was almost a Tarantino move to cast Josh Hartnett. When was the last time you saw Josh Hartnett? Uh, except he was on a couple of seasons of Penny Dreadful on Showtime, but in a film, in a blockbuster go to the movie theater film, Josh Hartnett, you know, since like 2006. Where you been, brother? So what a Tarantino mood. You're like, I'm gonna bring back Josh Hartnett. Uh so I was I was glad he did that. Eddie Marsan shows up as kind of a bureaucrat in the Fortico office, and uh that's a very richy thing to do because Eddie Marsan's in like every single Richie film known to man. I'd i maybe he props up in Aladdin, I don't know. But uh yeah, good, good <laughs> on for the supporting crew. I'm fine with it. And I think he may be uh, again, we're spoiling everything here. He may be one of the only people left alive in the depot <laughs> by the time this <laughs> this film is over. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 I love Charlie Oliver and, and the woman. <laughs> there's yeah, really, the token there's woman. really only like, yeah, one. Token. I mean, she's, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, um, uh, oh, what's it called? That HBO series that I love. Huge sci fi came out in 2020. Um, Raised by Wolves. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Raised by Wolves. Um, I was like, it's right there. I see the whole thing right displayed in front of me, except for the title. Anyway. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought she's great. Um, I think, you know, the scene between, um, Statham and her was great. Uh, I, I liked the, I liked the whole supporting cast. I actually think he did a reasonably good job at like making each character with very little bit of screen time they had, like stand out. Um, I, I love, but I did love, uh, Josh Hartnett. Harsh, Josh Hartnett was great. He was a real standout for me among the supporting cast. Um, and, uh, once again, yeah, like, Everybody that's introduced in the first act, I'm like, this is great. I'm, I'm loving all this. Like, I think that he's, he's handling the, you know, the, the, the very rapid fire succession of introduction of, of supporting characters, like very, very well. Um, I feel like I'm, I, I, I slide right into that culture of these armored truck drivers and like, it just, it just felt right. Um, so yeah. Um, and even, you know, if it was a different movie, right, getting introduced to all the, the, the ex soldiers. Um, the veterans, which by the way, I think in this movie, unfortunately, uh, they all come off as just douchebags that I want to see lose. So, uh, <laughs> it's, which is really unfortunate because I do, I do like a lot of those actors a lot. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's, uh, I just, I, I, I keep wanting to go back and like just relive the first act and then not talk about the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree because uh, I didn't feel that I was invested in any of those supporting characters. I They were all very well cast. I just did not feel that their characters were drawn well enough to really get you to care one way or another whether they got blown away. And uh, pretty much everybody gets blown away. I think it's harder uh, for, for Richie to really, I mean, you know, he always gives them great names, but I think it's harder in his films when he has, because he, he has so many characters Generally, when it's more of an ensemble sort of story like Snatch, he is able to give all those different people like their own little story. And so you really get to know all these different characters and, and, and you create this much bigger picture. Here, he is so much focused on H uh, that we we don't get to spend as much time with these characters. And so, you know, I wanted to see more of that that guy who had the one funky eye. I wanted to see more of of uh, the woman and the guy who was in, she was in the truck with at the end. Like there were a lot of these characters that I was really enjoying in that first section that I just didn't get much with. Um, and I think it's funny. You, you all uh, mentioned Josh Hartnett and how much you enjoyed him in the film. And it's funny that apparently the person who was playing the role originally, I don't know if he wasn't working or just kind of 
didn't show up or what, but uh, it, it didn't work. And Guy Ritchie actually called Josh the day that he, they started shooting the film uh, because he needed somebody. And he heard Josh Hartnett was in London and asked him if he could come uh, do the part. And so they, he said, you know, we can, we can play around with it. There's not much here, but we can play around with it. And so a lot of what they did, this whole idea of kind of making him this, this wimp, it was just kind of them kind of riffing on the character and they turned it into something that for me, I, he was one of my favorite characters in the film. I really enjoyed what they did with Josh Hartnett's character here. So part one is that part two, this is where things start getting dark because this is where we shift. And now we're looking at the uh, kind of, we're going back to see what happened. We're seeing the robbery again. And now we're seeing it where this is where we learned that he is with his son and his son is a victim of this, of this robbery. And this is where things definitely shift for kind of a darker tone, because now we're seeing all of a sudden that, you know, there is a backstory that we don't really have all of with H. He's got these guys that he works with. I never really understood what he did. I never really understood his relationship with Andy Garcia's character. But it seems like I, he may not be in the armored truck robbery business, but certainly they're doing something like they're tracking armored trucks. I, I couldn't figure it out. Did any of you have any sense as to what he and his guys were doing? I mean, they're robbing a truck later. No, that, and that was the, that was a problem for me is that when you talk about the motivation, suddenly... I was just like, wait, who's bot? Which one's the boss? Yeah. I, it's like everybody's the boss. <laughs> and uh, it, it took away from my empathy for H when you suddenly realized that he was part of what seemed to be this, uh, this nefarious crew of sorts that wasn't as brutal as the ones that they end up coming up against. But, uh, but still he suddenly crossed a line, uh, that was very murky. That, um, that took something away from me. And I, I was not clear on what exactly their business was either. And and Andy Garcia, I never felt like we closed the loop on on what his role was. Yeah, was he I, an FBI agent? I, I don't know. He's a good bad guy. He's a bad guy, but with kind of scruples. <laughs> so he, he will rob people, but he'll rob like bad people. And Andy Garcia apparently has a... A, an even longer backstory, a prequel with this man, and he'll let him run wild. He has given him leash because he's actually helping clean up the streets. Part two, it's a montage. Now they go through, I want to find out who robbed this truck and I want to find out who murdered my son. Go get the usual suspects, round them up. And the usual, he kind of kills all the usual suspects pretty much. Give me a name, give me a name. And he's cleaning up the town while he's doing it. And if he comes along innocent victims like he does when he uncovers that underage porn operation, he kills all the bad guys, gives the girls the cash and lets them go. He's a he's a Robin Hood bad guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I get what they're doing here. I, I think that they they took the original story because he's not a bad guy. He's just a dad and his son who just happens to be driving along and get caught in the crossfire. And here I, I don't know. I, I I know Richie likes working kind of in the criminal underbelly of the society and all that sort of stuff. I And I felt like this was an area where I really struggled with what they chose to do, because I'm like, why do we need him to be in this group that also seems to be robbing armored trucks and and what's going on? It just it started getting a lot more convoluted here. Uh, Jordan, what did you think with all this? Yeah, I agree. It took me um, it took me longer than I think it was. Uh, narratively useful for it to take me to to distinguish that like he like as my first thought when you know 
when his son gets killed when they're hitting the armored truck is that like that that was the hit that he was spotting he's he's spotting to try to tell him which you know so i'm i'm assuming they've got two crews you know i mean well because why wouldn't i assume that because it's a we it is a weird convolution um i mean i get once again i think i get the like the the underlying motivation like oh this it's this freak accident thing like it turns out the armored truck is getting hit by a different crew at these but like that's a very that's a very hard thing to kind of like have to unpack later um and it's it's needlessly confusing um, for it's like, like, what does that earn you? What does that kind of convolution earn you in the story? And it doesn't really earn you anything other than like a lot of, you know, unnecessary brain power on the part of the audience. Instead of like being invested in the scenes they follow, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And that's, I, I, I say this every time, like you never want your audience to be confused about the wrong thing because then they're going to be spending time trying to figure stuff out that you, instead of watching your movie, like <laughs> I, I, I want to be, you know, emotionally and intellectually invested in the scenes that follow. I don't want to be trying to understand like why I just saw this like really strange thing. And also try, I'm like questioning, was he the boss? Was he an underling that they didn't tell enough about? Like you don't know enough. And so it's just, it's just a very, it's a vexingly confusing situation, needlessly confusing situation. Yeah. It, and I don't know if it helped the story. I, I, I do think that it just made it weirdly confusing. Um, and, and because then, I mean, we kind of go through that and we end up going into part three, which, I mean, as we've already said, this is where we basically put a hold on that entire part of the story. And now we're just following this group of soldiers and these are the bad guys. And this is the bad animals, bad part of the story as we're just kind of like seeing what they're up to. And this was the part of the story. And I, I, I think that you've all pretty much said this. You hit this part and you're like, Okay, now I know who they are. One, as you pointed out, Charlie, there was there were never any clues getting me here. I think the only real mystery we have is who's the inside man, and I can't wait to talk about that here in a moment. And but then we have the this this thing like now I know who they are, and do I care anymore? I mean, I, I don't know. That's kind of where I hit with these guys because I was just like, okay, why why is this the group that I'm following now? Yeah. And also, again, their motivations were just completely never explained. And so you've got these guys, basically it was, we're really bored. We're back from war. We shot a lot of people. We did a lot of stuff. We bonded. We're back. We're really bored. We sit around watching TV all day. We have nothing to do. So let's go out and just, you know, rob armored trucks left and right. That, that was it. I mean, there, to me, I did not understand how they got from point A to point B, how they got from just being bored. To, to choosing this as their their new uh, employment opportunity. Very thin. I wonder if something ended up on the cutting room floor that shouldn't have. They're they're back. They were in Afghanistan, and I guess they were there for a long time. They were like some sort of special forces crew doing like stuff that we don't want to know about because probably wasn't above board. But they said the government doesn't take care of us. They cut us loose. They don't take care of us. Like, what do you mean? What you don't you don't get a you didn't do your twenty years and get your pension like everybody else? And then in the press notes, which I read afterward, it says they were dishonorably discharged. Mm. Wait a minute, did that come out in the film? If it did, I like mm-hmm. coughed through that line. I didn't <laughs> pick it up. And cause that that there's your motivation. Like, okay, you're you're mad, the government cut you loose. You know, a dishonorable discharge means you don't get your pension and you can't get hired pretty much anywhere else on the economy. Now I get your motivation. But I didn't know that in the film. Did you guys pick that up? No, I had no idea. Totally that, missed news it. To me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's huge. That's a huge point of plot that uh, needed to be in there. And wh- whereas we get these press notes sometimes, a lot of people, you know, the average viewer of a film does not. 
And so it's very frustrating when something is explained in press notes that you're then supposed to just kind of be able to, um, to parse from the movie itself. And I think that's an, it's unfair to the audience because that is not something that I picked up on. Uh, it's not even something that I assumed. Yeah. I figured there was, they were disgruntled. You know, they were obviously disgruntled mil- ex military. But I did not have any sense of why they were so disgruntled. Right. It leaves me in a place where I feel like, is is Guy Ritchie trying to say, like, is that part of the story we're supposed to feel for, like, how the government treats the former, like, the vets? Like, is there something else that they're saying here? Because if so, they're they're really not saying it in a way that makes any sense to me. Yeah, those those characters end up being just incredibly unsympathetic. Um, and it's bizarre, too, the way that they, um, I mean, you know. You, you can kind of you can kind of follow along with them while they're saying like oh here's here's a here's what we believe will be a victimless crime we hit an armored truck we're organized we you know we make it whatever um you know the the way that they they go and rob that house first and it ends up being not successful because it just pays out so little so like okay what's a bigger pay like, like all that I'm like I you know I'm kind of following along it's like it's okay 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 sure and then they get to this point where it's like they they start treating like you know. Uh, they start treating this entire, you know, armored truck operation as though it's as though it's a foreign enemy and like American soils war zone and that not all of them are going to make it out. of. I'm like, these are not human beings anymore. These are caricatures and they're not sympathetic caricatures either. So I not only don't care about whether or not they succeed, I actively want them to fail. Um, and it's uh, and it's just it's sort of. It, it it also doesn't make sense. Like I, you know, we, you show us you show us them with all their families, and I'm like, so I'm supposed to believe that even after they've you know stolen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, they're for the sake of you know making a, a you know a cool you know ten million dollars each, they're willing to essentially die, and they're they're willing to accept that like some of them, maybe most of them, will die. Uh, I mean, it just it seems it seems like a very extreme kind of once again caricatured thing that I just. I'm not going to care about these people. And I feel like on some level, it seems like Guy Ritchie at uh, all, they want me to care about these people. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be seeing all this backstory. Yeah, like we're seeing them hang out with like Jackson's having his birthday. And like they're they're like we're meeting their family, his wife and kids and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, why, why am I getting all of this? Uh, am I supposed to feel sympathy? And I couldn't help but feel like they in, you know, in the world of screenwriting, they're trying to, you know, make them fleshed out characters like they're they're giving us more than a one dimensional bad guy. But I'm just like, I don't think they really did a very good job. Like I just I really struggled once I knew who these villains were, I'm like, okay, well, now it's just kind of all downhill because now it's just the bad guys and, and Jason Statham and we're just kind of having the big shootout at the end. And that's really kind of where it left me once I hit hit these guys in this part of the film. And I want to play devil's advocate for one second because I like it occurs to me there's there's at least a possibility. And this is, goes back to my earlier argument. If the intention was a sort of more nihilistic viewpoint, if you're supposed to see this is a version of bad guy. And the scenes that you see leading up to these, the, leading up to the, the the big robbery, are not meant to help help have you sympathize with them, but instead are meant to make you want them to fail. Um, I I can buy that that would be the reason or the way that those scenes were constructed. I mean, I think I, the the scene that in particular, I mean, why call that section "bad animals bad"? Well, because you know the re, the the Jeffrey Donovan character says at that moment, you know, where they they've dug into the cake. You know, early, 
um, it, you know, we're, we're kind of telegraphed this idea that these are actually bad people. They, I mean, like really all of them are just a bunch of crappy, awful people. And they're supposed to be sort of like ex war heroes, whatever. And like, so, you know, so, but like, even if that's the intention, the intention is like, well, we want the audience to actually hate them. It's like, well, great job. We do. Um, it was the, it was the wrong choice. Like that, that makes the movie less interesting. That makes me care less about what happens from this point forward, because there's no part of me that is like afraid that Jason Statham is going to lose. Like he wouldn't have taken the role. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's just it, like either direction it goes for me. It just doesn't, it doesn't really work. And, and, and now we kind of get to that point in the film where everything comes together. We now know who the bad guys are, what Jason Statham's stakes are in this entire thing. The only thing we haven't learned is who the inside man is. And that's, you know, we're kicking into part four, liver, lungs, spleen, and heart, which I just love as the title. I actually really love all the, all the names for each of these sections. I think they're really great. Um, but this is where, you know, he, we find out who the inside man is. Uh, I don't know. How did this work for all of you uh, when we find out who our inside man is? It's, you know, on one second, we don't know who it is. And on the next second, we know who it is. And it's it's actually not that big a deal. Uh, I, I guess I cared who it was because is it going to be this big reveal? Like, oh, it was you the whole time? Because, you know, we're led. He does the script writing teases. You think it's this guy because he's just in a bad mood all the time. You think it's this guy because, you know, he's got problems. But, oh, it's Bullet. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I found myself caring, uh, but it, it made me mad because I, I it was very confused because I'm like, Bullet was involved in the first high or the first heist that they happened to be involved in when these other criminals stop the the cash truck and take all their or want to take all their money. This is where we learned that Jason Statham's a badass. He's not the 70% type of guy and he takes all six of the bad guys down. But the bad guys had they had nabbed Bullet and they were holding him hostage to get to lure the truck down. And uh, so I I was like, okay, this is really interesting. But then I'm like, okay, so when we get to the end and Bullet's revealed, I'm like, oh, well, well hold on now. Like he was involved in that other heist. Like that's just it just started seeming like way too uh unlikely for me to buy into because I'm like, what are the odds that he he is because uh, because in, in my initial thought was, well, was he involved in that first heist? Like, was he an inside man for those particular people? And now he's changed to a different group. Like, I, I, I really struggled all of a sudden with like, why? How is this particular person involved in all of these heists? And and that kind of I don't know, it started irking me that I, I couldn't I couldn't buy into that as much yeah no it irked me too it didn't track i did not feel that his character tracked from beginning to end even when he's revealed as the inside man because he was involved in that first incident he did sort of rely on these other people to save his butt and so it's one thing to just sort of betray them on a a surface level but he doesn't just betray them minimally at the end there it's like he doesn't care at all about these people that were in essence a family in this operation. And suddenly he goes from, you know, just uh, being a, a figure, a family figure to let it not caring if they all get blown away. And I had been doing a lot of the blowing away himself. <laughs> right. So I did not, um, I did not appreciate it. I didn't buy into it. I don't think it felt right. It just didn't feel right to me at the very end as he was, uh, involved in so much carnage. And he seemed to me like the type 
when you look at what he went through at the beginning when he was involved and was uh, essentially held hostage himself, I would have expected his character towards the end to be more of the type to just kind of be like, oops, <laughs> I gave you the inside track. I'm out of here. And, uh, and I think I would have actually preferred that if he had, um, if he had somehow either killed himself or bolted, uh, in a different sort of way. There's a big difference between spineless and malicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like he just starts shooting everybody. I, I, it just really floored me. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to sound like like an awful type of person, but I was like, okay, they actually went to a place where he actually he was killing uh, Boy Sweat Dave, like he was killing people that he knew. I'm like, okay, they they went to some of these darker places in this film. You know, I didn't mind that, but when it came from that particular character, I really struggled with that. I just didn't buy into that. It was just, I don't know, it really frustrated me. Charlie, did, how did you, how did that uh, track with you? I mean, I, I it had to be somebody, and it could have been anybody. Yeah. There was no setup. I don't know if it would have been better if it would have been someone else, but uh, I mean, he said uh, it could have been, it could just have easily have been boy sweat day. He wasn't there on the day he was supposed to be on the truck. And yeah. when, when H's son was killed, it, it's almost like he threw a dart. Oh, okay. It's going to, it's going to be bullet fine. It, 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 it honestly doesn't matter who it turned out to be. It couldn't have been one of the minor ones. You know, it had to be one of the top three or four, but, uh, meh. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I had kind of a skull cracking eye roll moment um, when we found out it was it was bullet because it just he he's the only logical option <laughs> like it can't be boy sweat day because he's too obvious. It can't be any of the other characters because they're too minor. So it has to be bullet. It has to be bullet. And then but you don't guess it's bullet necessarily because it doesn't matter. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that isn't what really the story has been about. Like, you think it's going to be about that. Oh, it's going to be about finding out who the inside man is, but it's not. Um, it's just about whether or not Jason Statham can kill all of the people who were involved in his son's death. And, you know, at the end of the day, it matters a whole lot more about the guy who shot his son Mm -hmm. than it does about the guy who was in the inside man of the armored truck. So it just, it feels, it feels sort of very messy and careless. And, um, and, and, and it also, it, it's, it kind of is reminiscent of what the story could have been. Like, let's say we did take, like, go from the first act, follow a relatively linear story to keep it sort of as a mystery that kind of unfolds one piece at a time. And then, but, it, you know, assuming that we're getting a way richer, um, relationship with these other people in the, um, in the armored truck crew, we're getting a way richer relationship with Boy Sweat and with Bullet and with these other people. So that as those reveals start happening and we get to the point where we find out that it is bullet, maybe we did guess, maybe we figured it out, whatever, but it's going to have a, like a, a big emotional impact. But as it is, like bullet barely matters by that point in the story. He just, he just isn't a significant character anymore. And so to find out that it's him, it's like, okay, like who cares? <laughs> who cares? Honestly, like yeah. I, I don't. Does anybody in this theater care? Like, no, I don't think anybody cares. Like moving on, you know? Oh, and also now we hate him because he's, cavalierly killing all of the people he's been working with for like a decade or more so it's just it's a it's a very it's a very disappointing way to have the story sort of conclude yeah and it it did uh it did diminish the actual villain the one who did kill the son it uh it made you sort of split your attention at the end to bullet and to i guess if we're not spoiling to the uh, scott eastwood character Uh, so uh, I was kind of like, who's, who's the worst, you know, is it, which one's no, worse? This is a fun they're game both, to play. <laughs> I'm like, they're both terrible. <laughs> they're all bad. And, uh, and it's like, everybody's just dying left and right. And so it's, it was a long 
slog of bloodshed to get through to um, to get to the conclusion. Stakesless, stakesless too, because because you really, if you don't really care about who, I mean, if you don't, if there's not really a question about whether or not Jason Statham is going to kill the people who killed his son, because there really isn't, and even even that question alone, even if it was a really hanging mystery, it's not that. It, 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 the stakes are not nearly as high as they would be if we cared about a lot of the other characters. But yeah, like I mean, it was amazing that like we get this long, that I comparatively long scene of like the last two men standing. Who's going to get the drop on who? You know, they're both, you know, whatever. He's bullets got a gun. He's gonna what? I'm like, wow. Like both of these people are horrible. Like I want them both to die. Like who cares who kills who first? It's just really unfortunate because there's no, there can't be any tension if you don't care who dies first. There's no tension, and so yeah, it's like it just it feels it feels like an ex like I, I yeah it's a slog of bloodshed. That's a great way of putting it. It it feels like I'm just seeing a lot of like violence for the sake of what um, is it? Do you really want me to just have lost faith in humanity? Is that is that is that the point? Because it feels like that's the point. And if so, I, I'm I'm a little bit sorry I came by this point, um, which is unfortunate because I had a I, I had a, was full of a lot of hope and enjoyment at the beginning. It feels very much um, like even even taking it through that final moment of revenge where now we have H inside Jan's place and and he goes through the whole thing with the coroner's report and all that, which I mean, I actually liked that bit and just kind of the way that played out. But it also feels like uh, when when you kind of think through it, it's like this really was nothing more than just an extended version of what H had been doing with his team in the initial hunt when he was in that montage where he was trying Very to find, funny. like we had the, the first guy that he kidnapped and beat and killed. And we had the second group that they kidnapped, beat and killed. This was just the big long story of the protracted exploration. Who's the inside man. So I can, you know, beat them and kill them and get through to the end. Cause at the end of it, like he, he takes down Jan and is like, did, okay, did he learn anything from this? He just, is he going back to his normal routine? Cause it seems like he is. He has that little conversation with agent King. who's like, are we done? now it's like that's uh, like that was how the movie was closing i'm like is that really what we're going to say here at the end yeah i'm done okay let's move on it's a fitting last line of the movie (laughs) ah yeah and and, and yeah that's that's the linear story you're right like that's the exact that's the exact linear story from start to finish man's son gets killed he starts beating and killing everybody who trying to figure out who killed his son at the very end he finds the guy who killed his son and kills him the end are we done now (laughs) <laughs> and, and it's yeah. called it's called wrath of man i wanted to have that ending like is he now bitter and stewing in his own vengeance at the end of the film and it wasn't there i'm like okay so i guess he's happy he he got what he wanted but i don't know i don't know i, I on the whole it was it was an enjoyable enough watch but like the more i think about it and break it down i'm like gosh there's just I have more and more issues with with the way the whole thing was constructed and the way it kind of left me at the end. Any, I mean, any last thoughts from any of you on this one? No, I, I agree with you right there because uh, I, I think the more I thought about it, the less I liked it, which is not a good thing. There are times where the more I think about a film at the, <laughs> at the end afterwards, I start to appreciate things that maybe on first reference I did not capture. Uh, this is the reverse where... The more I dig into what uh, was missing, uh, the more I thought it could have been a much better film. And the further down it gets in my ratings of uh, Guy Ritchie films. This is just a, a firm reminder that I do not like it when 
Western English-speaking directors remake foreign films. In Order of Disappearance from Norway did not need to become Cold Pursuit. Force Majeure did not need to become Downhill. And I assume Les Convoyeurs did not need to become Wrath of Man. Make your own films. Guy Ritchie, you're more than capable of doing it. Don't remake Aladdin. Don't remake someone else's directorial thing from France that even though we would have never seen it anyway, it still feels wrong. Uh, I did like Cold Pursuit. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe I need to go, maybe I need to go see the original, you know, non That was whatever, Liam Neeson, I, right? I was like that Liam Neeson? Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed yes, it. That was Liam yeah, I did. Yeah, nobody I saw, saw that I saw movie, it. I, I saw it because it was Liam, it was Liam Neeson. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go through it. But, uh, yeah, that, um, Cold Pursuit, because I had not seen the original, but when you talk about the remakes, there was that, um, the remake of the French film, uh, that Kevin Hart ended up starring in the American version. Oh, uh, they, they was, in touch, in touch of yeah, the untouchables, the untouchables. Yeah. Uh, that was like a phenomenal, phenomenal film that did not need to be remade. So, uh, so yeah, I, I agree. There's a whole slew of them that, uh, just leave well enough alone and, uh, and give us something new. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't have, um, I, I've never had, a like really strong confidence in Guy Ritchie's ability to tell like a, a, a nuanced, mature, well-constructed story. Um, I think he's a good filmmaker. I think he has a lot of really good stylistic sensibilities. I think he's pretty good with actors. I think he's a pretty good scene writer. All of these things. Well, again, I'm going to hammer this point again, are true of Quentin Tarantino as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think that uh, this is just, you, you know, the difference is I think Quentin Tarantino is getting better and uh, Guy Ritchie, I'm getting less and less impressed as time goes by. I thought uh, The Gentleman was a really, really fun movie, uh, much more fun than this movie. But also, by the end, I still had this sort of like that emptiness, you know, the too much yeah. popcorn emptiness. Like, I don't actually have real food in my belly. I, I'm, I'm looking for something sub substantial to digest here, and there isn't anything there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Uh, it, it, it's I, I wish you know I don't know there were two other writers credited on this movie um, you know maybe maybe they just needed to be different writers I don't know I really hope you all can find a Le Convoyeur and check it out I'd love to hear your thoughts if you're able to track it down um, uh, it's it's a I don't know I found it to be a little more um, uh, interesting than this I mean this is certainly full of action and everything but I, I think I prefer that one. I, you know, it's a frustrating film, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I hope that Guy Ritchie kind of keeps working and trying to do stories that are pushing the envelope a little more with what he can do. I was, I appreciated that he was doing something that felt different than what he had done before. I just don't feel like he's quite there yet, where he's, you know, telling the story at least that I was hoping that he was going to be telling with this one. Well, we um, we like to always rank things over on Letterboxd, um, and I'd love to know what all of you think. Uh, out of five stars, how many uh, how many stars would you give this one? And would you give it the Letterboxd heart? Uh, Hannah, what about you? Uh, I wouldn't give it the heart. I would give it uh, maybe around uh, two and a half stars because it really just sort of falls somewhere in the middle of the road. Two and a half. Okay. Charlie? No, I would not give it the heart. Uh, even though I just spent the last hour kind of tearing it apart, I would give it a three. <laughs> I'm, I would rather see it than have not seen it. I like watching Jason Statham kill people, uh, especially with a very stoic look on his face. He is very good <laughs> at that. And I, want more, I want more of that, and I want more Guy Ritchie. So three from me. All right, Jordan, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I also uh, feel like I was being really, really harsh. Um, 
but I think I had a three star experience, three out of five star experience. Um, and but I, yeah, I think I would also, I would withhold my heart. I, uh, yeah, I think we're I all. My, I, get, I give it my lungs and my liver and my spleen, but but no heart. <laughs> but no heart. I, I love that. Yeah, I feel like we're all kind of uh, right in that same area. I'm at a three star, uh, also with no heart. It's it's. It, I mean, it was an easy watch. I, I enjoyed it, it, the experience and everything. But just like thinking about it afterward, like you said, Hannah, the more I think about it, the more it diminishes in my mind. And I take that half star. You guys all give it three. The half star for me is that it's just not a genre that's in my wheelhouse. Sure. So that that sort of also comes into play with when I'm rating these films. Is that is it the type of film I would normally enjoy anyway? If it somehow you know makes me feel like oh, I love this movie, it's not a John Wick. I give John Wick five stars. That's why uh, that to me is sort of the bar. Sure. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, I can see that it definitely is a type of story for uh, for certain people. Andy, you need to go see Nobody as well. You d- you definitely need to go see that so we can have a. I really do. About it. I really do. Absolutely, absolutely. That Especially, is, that is yeah. a very fun movie. Also flawed, but very fun. Okay, okay. Uh, Charlie, have you seen that one too? I have. I enjoyed it uh, just as much as Hannah did. Actually, Hannah would have given H a love interest. At the Fortico security place, and at the end of the film, H would have gone back to Fortico and this officer <laughs> and just I'm back, and this is just where I belong, and that would give it hand like three stars, or yeah. at least three, at least three. All right, it, hey, if I, star. If, if I can be in a scene with Jason Statham, I will give it a five star rating, no matter the film. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I had so much fun talking with all of you about Wrath of Man, regardless of our thoughts of the film itself. It was great chatting with all of you. Um, Hannah and Charlie, uh, thanks for joining us on, in the film board today. Uh, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Remind remind everyone of your of your podcast and where else you are online? Yeah, no. So uh, we are at the... You can actually find us online now. Give us a few extra hits because uh, our site is very new and raw but uh, at thecinemaclash.com. And uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes and all the other platforms. And then as uh, Charlie mentioned earlier, we are on, uh, if you're ever driving through St. Petersburg, Florida, you might hear us on the uh, Sunshine FM station there uh, and on RadioStPete.com. Excellent. And are you two, like, do you, do you have people following you on Twitter and all that sort of stuff too, or you just mostly stay with that? Uh, we have a, a Twitter handle that gives us, uh, you know, our, our handful of uh, loyal followers uh, at the Cinema Clash. So you can find us on Twitter. Gotcha. And uh, Jordan, thanks as always for, for being here on the film board. It was great chatting with you again. You're very welcome. Um, I actually recently started using Twitter again. And sometimes I tweet about movies, or I should say, sometimes I tweet about The Last Jedi to try to tell everybody who doesn't like it that they're wrong. But, uh, <laughs> That's pretty much it. And I'm, I'm at not Jay Peterson, uh, because everyone always asks me if I'm that Jordan Peterson and I'm not. So I'm not, I'm at not Jay Peterson. <laughs> and that's, and that's Peterson at not Jay Peterson with an O because you're Jay Peterson correct. with an E, right? Cause I'm Jay Peterson with an E. Yes. But right. it's a little harder to get that to stick in people's brains. So gotcha. yeah. 
Well, I'm on. Uh, I'm starting to try using using Twitter some more. Also, you can find me at Soda Creek Film if you want to uh, check me out and and tweet at me there. Uh, as for uh, as for the show, everybody, uh, don't forget to join our online community with fellow movie lovers. You can learn more at thenextreel.com slash discord. We're over there. And if you're interested in supporting us to help keep the lights on, get some great benefits while you're at it, you can head to thenextreel.com slash membership. We have a lot of great members. Thanks for all your support. And just as a reminder, we're doing monthly member bonus episodes. This month, we're doing The Woman in the Window, which comes out next week. So members will be able to tune into that show. 911. My neighbor Jane, she's been stabbed. Detective Little, NYPD. Where's Jane? Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. Ma'am, you all right? I know Jane. Jane's been in my house. I'm Jane Russell. I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. They're all hiding something. And just as a reminder, 2020, for member bonus episodes, we've looked at Locked Down, Breaking News in Yuba County, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and Godzilla vs. Kong. So, you know, we're keeping busy cranking these things out. And, of course, The Next Reel also has its member bonus episodes. Don't forget to do the stuff you're supposed to do with your podcast, everybody. Rate, review, subscribe, and, of course, listen. But perhaps most important, share. Please let any of those movie lovers in your life know about the show. The best way we have to get more people listening to the show is you. Thanks so much. And thank all of you for joining me here on the film board today. Meeting adjourned. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.